Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. I'm Tina Murray, the Vice Chair of DivorceNet, and I am one of the co-hosts of Clean Break, the podcast for DivorceNet. Uh, Darren Javog is the Chair of DivorceNet and one of my co-hosts, however, he's not here today. So I am solo in the chair, and this morning I have Cynthia Squire. She is a family lawyer with Lister Beaupre uh, out of Ottawa. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who, who are you? Uh, family? Married? Oh, well, I'm a family law lawyer. I do also child protection law at Lister Beaupre. Um, I am not married, uh, but I do have a significant other. I have two children. They're adults, 22 and 19. So, um, and I live in Ottawa. That's where the firm is located, um, in the beautiful neighborhood of uh, Old Ottawa South. And have you always lived in Ottawa, or is that, are you an implant into the area? Um, I'm an implant into the area, but I'm technically from Ottawa now. I've been there for about 20 years or more, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you uh, told a little funny story, or you, you told us about a little funny story of how you actually became a lawyer. So can you yes. share that with our audience? Well, I had just finished my uh, Bachelor of Arts at uh, Carleton University, and I had just separated from my spouse as well. Um, and I didn't have any money for a lawyer, so I had to represent myself in court. Um, so I just simply decided after that to go to law school and to uh, assist other people with their family legal troubles. And how long ago was that? Um, that was in 2005. Okay, so quite a while. <laughs> it's been about, yeah. 10, 15 years old. Had that always been on your radar to be a lawyer or? No, never. Uh, I've never thought of becoming a lawyer. Um, when I started uh, my career path, I was in the medical field. I was a laboratory mm. technologist. Wow. And uh, just went on to do a degree in political science afterwards. Wow. That's <laughs> interesting. Quite a different. Uh... Oh, it's very different. Yeah. 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 What, what would you say is your favorite thing about being a lawyer? Um... I really do like helping people. Uh, most of the time, family law is very challenging, um, and I do enjoy helping people when it's very, very difficult, at a time when it's very difficult in their lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously you have personal experience with that. I do, so that also adds um, a different layer to what I can provide to them, and I can also essentially show them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Right, right, yeah. going through that. Um, can. You don't have to speak about your personal experience, yeah. but going through that whole um, court process for yourself, what yeah. was that like? Did it feel daunting? Did it? It was terrifying um, to go through it on your own. Um, it's my understanding that the majority of people do do it on their own because they can't afford lawyers or they can't get legal aid certificates. Um, it can, it's difficult to say the least. Um, the judges are very helpful um, and it can be very intimidating. Did your um, ex-spouse have a lawyer? Nope, he did not have a lawyer okay. either. So. so maybe a little less intimidating in that regard because you were, you weren't battling <laughs> that's a right. lawyer at the time. That's that's true. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> so um, let's just talk a little bit about what you do as a family lawyer. What is your what specifically is your job? Um, so what we mostly do is uh, we draft separation agreements. So the separation process it could either go uh, two ways. We could start with a with negotiations and separation agreements, uh, which is what most of my practice is based on. Uh, or if there are difficult issues or if the parties don't agree, then uh, we would do court applications. 
Okay. Mm. And are there specific things that you would generally see in every separation agreement or or do they vary widely? Um, it really depends on what the issues are. They vary quite significantly because every, every family is different. Some families ha don't have children. Some families have a lot of children. Um, some families have more money or more property than others. Um, and each separation agreement is very individual and personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long, on average, would you think uh, separation can take? Like the whole pro, I guess, again, it varies widely, right? <laughs> it does, yeah. It could take from four weeks if everybody gets along and knows what they want. Wow. Up to uh, four years, depending on what the delays are in the court system. Uh, in Ottawa, it can take up to six months to even have a motion heard. Okay, explain that to me. What does that mean? No, that's okay. No, no, that's okay. I don't, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I've never been through the separation yeah. or divorce process. Yeah. So. Um, so essentially, uh, the court, uh, the process can be very lengthy if we go to court. Uh, it could take, with the delays uh, that we have, it could take up to six months to even have one appearance. So in front of a judge just to kind of help. And, that's and, right. and so the judge's, the judge's job is to help. Uh, mediate that or how does that? No, the judge's job is uh, to provide guidance at some appearances. So we have some appearances where we just sit down together and we discuss ways of settling the case and the judge in that way would uh, assist the parties in coming to a decision. But generally if there is uh, a motion or a trial, the judge makes the decision. Um, and usually it's a decision that neither party likes. Really, eh? Yes. Like, we've, you know, we've obviously interviewed lawyers on uh, on Clean Break mm -hmm. before, but I, I don't think we've sort of talked about that kind of detail about, right. you know, the whole process of the the negotiations. And, and again, pretty naive for myself um, in that process and maybe a little thankful for that at this point in time. <laughs> um, but, like, I just... You know, you just hear people making separation agreements, but I, I kind of never really nailed down the whole process of, you know, sometimes a separation agreement can be done just with the lawyers and then other times yes. it goes to the judges. So when when does it go? Like, how does that process work? When does it go from being, you know, just the lawyers involved to the judges? Or is it always, are the judges always involved? Uh, if you're married uh, and if you want to get a divorce, then a judge will have to sign off on that. Um, for the most part, as long as everybody gets along and there are no issues of abuse or we don't need restraining orders, you don't need to go to court at all. Okay. Um, there are other options, including mediation. Uh, sometimes uh, I would have clients go to a mediator and the mediator would draft the agreement and then they would come back to uh, see me for what we call independent legal advice, right. um, which is very important because I've seen so many agreements that people write on their own. They can't afford lawyers. They don't want to get legal advice, but it really is a case of paying a little bit mm -hmm. to, uh, to have independent legal advice or to talk to a lawyer about your separation agreement or, then, or spend a lot later if you have to fix a separation agreement, if it needs to be set aside, or if you find out your spouse had more property than you thought, it can be very, very difficult to make changes to it afterwards. So, so what I hear from that is if you are doing your own separation agreement, mm -hmm. regardless of how amicable it is or yes. how fair you may think it is, 
it's always advisable to get independent legal advice. Oh, always. Yeah, I it, I cannot recommend that enough. I've seen so many separation agreements that were made uh, between amicable people who a year or two later, they're no longer amicable <laughs> and they don't like each other as much after the two-year point and then they're there are problems. So is it is it possible, even though both parties in that situation have signed the separation agreement, everyone's agreeable to it, it's witnessed, um, is it possible that could then be thrown out the window? It could be. Yes, it could be. It, it's difficult, but it definitely could be thrown out the window. There are specific uh, sections, including spousal support, um, where it could be thrown out the window, as well as if you have a matrimonial home. Um, no separation agreement um, would hold the matrimonial home as someone's sole asset. It always is divided. Okay. Hmm. Wow. And, <laughs> and so, okay, so I think if I was negotiating a separation agreement with my spouse and it was amicable and we felt like it was fair and equitable, um, and then he or I decided to go take it to a lawyer, I think that in my brain, I would say, well, that lawyer's just going to throw it out, right? And then it's going to cost us more money and it's going to take more time. And how do you address that issue? Because I think that would be a general fear because the point is people are doing the separation agreement mm -hmm. without a lawyer to save money. Yes. And by getting that ILA or yes. independent legal advice, um, all of a sudden, I think the fear in the back of my mind would be, oh my goodness, what if they don't like it? What if it's wrong? Yes. But we're both <clears throat> happy. We really, really want this. Mm -hmm. um, you are always welcome to um, to make agreements that are outside of the law, and as long as someone has told you that it's outside of the law. Uh, at that point, if you have had the independent legal advice and you're both happy with the agreement, it's not up to me or any other lawyer to suggest that it's wrong okay. or that uh, you don't or that it won't work for you. Um, but then your lawyer will be writing in their notes that what that they told you what was outside of the law. Right. So, and I mean... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I'm not trying to dissuade people from oh, going no. to a lawyer in any way, stretch or form, because mm -hmm. I think um, that's one of the things at DivorceNet we advise is yes. that, you know, you go see a lawyer. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I have seen some agreements. Um, they do have kits, I think, at Staples or elsewhere. They are okay. There are some things that we may want to add in mm -hmm. um, that go with your personal situation or if you tell us something even just in general terms, or even to make it easier for both people to uh, implement it later or for a divorce to happen. Because once you have a separation agreement, the next step, if you're married, would be then to uh, obtain a divorce. And in order to obtain a divorce, you have to be separated for a year. And you also, if there are children, you also have to make sure that the child support provisions for them meet the child support guidelines. Otherwise, the judge will not sign off on your divorce. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I would think that most people doing their own separation agreements may not be aware of that. No, they, they usually are not aware of the child support angle with the divorce itself. And I have seen uh, divorces come back with a judge writing in the record that there's no child support listed here for the children, so they won't grant the divorce. Interesting. Okay, so can you can we talk a little bit about that? How does, sure. How does the child support... Um, provision work? Uh, well, we have uh, federal child support guidelines, and if you're not married, it's Ontario child support guidelines, and generally they follow each other. And what we do is we look at the payor or, the per or everybody's line 150 income on their income tax return, and we basically look at the tables that are online uh, on the Department of Justice website, and they provide them the amount of child support that you are to pay. 
And and is that based on who has custody or doesn't have custody? Are there certain things regarding uh, that? It's based on who, where the children are living. If the children are living solely with one parent, either mom or with dad, on a full-time basis, then the other parent would pay the full full table amount of child support for them. If there's a case of sharing parenting, where the child lives with uh, each parent on a 50% uh, basis or even a little less than 50%, we look at both parents' incomes, and the one who and the parent who earns more income would then be paying child support to the other. And is that a difference? Like is there that, is. It's yes. not. It's not like full child support. It's it's a difference between the income. That's right. Yeah, just for that little bit. They wouldn't be paying the full amount. So um, if if I was a custodial parent, yeah. I had full custody, and um, the, the, the spouse, the ex-spouse, if I made more than the ex-spouse, um, but I had full custody, would he still pay child support? That's correct, yes. It, the, your income, if you're the uh, primary resident parent, your income doesn't come into play for the table amount of child support. It would come in for expenses such as daycare or other things that your child may need, okay. um, and then we do those in a percentage as proportion to income. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any horror stories? Have you? Horror, oh my goodness! <laughs> there are so many horror stories, and you know, sometimes, and they're horror stories for my clients, and not necessarily for Personally, myself. Right. Right. Um, occasionally, my job is sometimes like reading the National Enquirer, um, wow. and it sometimes does appear to be like a gossip rag, um, but that's it makes it very very interesting. And some days, uh, we we don't have dull days in family law. Wow. Wow, can you share anything with us? Um, You would be very surprised at what people will uh, argue about and what people will fight about. It's not always money. So they will fight about property items. I've had people argue about recipe cards, uh, beanie babies. Seriously? Chicken statues. And even now that it's legal, it won't be much of a difference, but people have even argued over the, the marijuana. They would like to keep that. Sorry, I am very rarely speechless, but if I wasn't the actual host today, I might not answer anything else. (laughs) Michael, our producer, is staring at me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. (laughs) Like, it just, you know what, I know that, you know, people can be petty, but that just seems absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it it can be very, very ridiculous. Oh, yes, yes. And, And you don't really want to pay your lawyer to separate your stuff. No. It is just gets too expensive, mm-hmm. um, but some people don't mind losing their money that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the mediation process. Sure. And are you are you a mediator? No, I'm not a mediator. Okay. I'm taking some classes, but okay. I'm not a mediator yet. Okay. Um, I highly recommend mediation. It is a good way to come together with your spouse to discuss the actual issues rather than um, negotiating uh, with a lawyer where it's very positional. Uh, the mediator usually meets with both people, uh, both parents or both uh, spouses before, so they have an idea as to what the situation is, what each party's position is, and where there might be some common ground. We um, Most of the time, uh, the, the couples will go themselves to, to a mediator, and sometimes a lawyer or both lawyers would be present as well. It can often be very difficult to have a a frank and honest discussion if one party has a lawyer in the room Mm. um, or to come up with solutions um, that might be more effective than what the other person's position is. 
if things are very difficult or if there is uh, abuse in the relationship, mediation is still an option. Uh, we can do a mediation where each person is in a separate room. In that case, I, I would recommend that they have a lawyer present as well. Um, so there, that's what we call a shuttle mediation. Okay, so that would be, again, just the, the mediator would be only meeting one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, in different rooms. Okay, yeah. and that's extreme, I would think. No, that's quite common. Okay. Uh, a lot of the times people are, too, are, are quite upset with their spouse. They don't mm. want, they can't, um, they don't feel like they can be themselves or speak freely in front of their spouse, or they may feel intimidated by their other spouse if there has been abuse. Mm. Um, and it's not always male, male that are the abusers as well. So, mm -hmm. No, I have heard of situations. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had a, a personal acquaintance mm. who um whose wife was yeah. abusive yes. you know and uh yeah not a not a fun situation at no all. it's never it's never fun um and the shuttle mediations are quite helpful for that and it saves a lot of time and energy going to court as well for those issues uh, and it would resolve it much faster um what would be your biggest piece of advice for somebody who is contemplating separation or just beginning to go through the separation process? Um, my my biggest suggestion is to just book a consult with with a lawyer or book a consult with three different lawyers. You have to be comfortable with mm -hmm. your family law lawyer. Um, we're going to know pretty much almost everything about you, your finances, um, your past, what you do for a living. Uh, you may have to disclose all of your bank account information so we know how you're spending your money and even your sex life may come up uh, with your family law lawyer. Uh, so you have to be comfortable with them. My suggestion is you go and talk to two or three family law lawyers. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few of us who offer uh, free 30-minute consultations um, so that you can meet with us and be comfortable with the person that who is essentially going to be managing your separation on a legal basis for you. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. really good advice. Because mm -hmm. you're right, it's personal, right? You need Very to be much able so. to feel um, comfortable yes. in that situation. And and the one thing I would probably caution people, and, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm, I'm wrong saying this, but you know, you said you have to be comfortable yep. with that person, with the lawyer, because you may have to talk about very personal things. Right. And I think the thing about it is that um, we, all, we, all, we have lots of um, counselors and yes. um, therapists in the yes. group as well in DivorceNet. And, you know, I would suggest probably not going to your lawyer for therapy is a absolutely, good thing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. We are very, very expensive therapists and exactly. we're not covered by your insurance. Right, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true, right? And I can see how it would be very emotional. Like yes. I'm, I am an emotional person and I know that if I'm talking about very personal things with somebody, I'm going to probably cry or oh, I'm yeah. Yes. probably break down and I'm sure you see a lot of that it's uh, it's very rare if I have not seen one of my clients cry once sometimes mm -hmm. it's just too much uh, for them um, and there's always Kleenex mm -hmm. so and it's always better that they cry in my office mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some of the things you think people are least prepared for going through this whole process um, for the most part I think people are most unprepared or they do not know the extent of the financial situation that they might be in. Mm -hmm. They may not know the extent of their other spouse's debt or they haven't really paid attention to the family finances and they don't know where any of the money is. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely 
be very financial knowledgeable, financially knowledgeable in terms of where your money is, especially if you earn less than your spouse and where that money is going. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That is very good advice. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes into you, you know, they've had that maybe initial 30-minute interview or whatever, um, and then they come into you now for let's get the process going. Mm-hmm. What are some things that they can bring with them to help get that process going faster? Uh, well, the best things to bring in <clears throat> are your notices of assessments from CRA because we'll want to know what your income is. For both of you? Yep. If you okay. have your spouse's information um, or if you're planning on separating, my suggestion is to take photos or copy financial documents because otherwise you may not see them again mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. there's a separation um, so that you can make sure that you have all the information about your assets and, and debts. And also bring uh, bank account statements and credit card debts from the date that you did separate, Mm -hmm. as that's what we look at to determine your assets and debts on the date of your separation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what if they are not separated yet? What if this spouse is going in, you know, talking about the separation process, but perhaps their spouse doesn't know anything about it? Right. That (laughs) happens quite a lot. Mm -hmm. That's what happens for the most part. It's sometimes really? parents will decide or, or couples will decide together that they would like to separate. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, there's a levy and a leave or. So, um, and usually one person will have the upper hand. They've already gone through the whole process of separating. Mm. They've got their financial documents together and the other person tends to be blindsided. What do you do? Uh, what's some advice you would give that blindsided person? Because that, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? Um, yeah, that, it's that very process. difficult for that, for that person. It can be difficult in that they may not be ready for the separation, but it still has to go forward whether they're ready or not. And it really is a good idea to listen to the advice of your lawyer, and that is definitely where I would recommend counseling mm-hmm. begin right away Mm -hmm. so that decisions on a legal basis aren't being made on an emotional level right yeah and do you think that could slow down the process absolutely it always slows it down okay (laughs) always yeah Yeah. so is is that okay to do that like it just that person then are are they able to sub take back a little bit of control in the process so spouse a has you know i will premeditated is the word i'm using but planned yes plan the separation in their mind and yes. has sought the counsel and da 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 The blindsided person has been blindsided. Yes. And um, can they sort of, are they sort of forced to follow the, uh, the speed at to which the other spouse is going or can they slow it down? The, the pace can be slowed down a little bit. Um, if there are issues such as a home that needs to be sold or other or separating and determining a residency schedule those things may need to be decided within a couple of months Um, but if you start with the court process that process will take quite a long time and that tends to slow it down anyway okay yeah okay and what is the i know we talked timelines Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier in the conversation but what are some typical timelines as far as the process Maybe there aren't. (laughs) No, I wish I could give some typical timelines. It really depends on the level of assets and debts. If people, if there are no assets and no debts and we're only dealing with uh, custody access and child support and both parents agree, the separation agreement would be very simple. Uh, If there are numerous assets, investments, and uh, valuations that need to be done, it could take up to about four to six months. 
um, to have a comprehensive uh, a comprehensive separation agreement that includes all of the issues. Um, but if you do want to get a divorce, you do have to wait one year right. uh, of separation uh, before you can apply for your divorce or before a divorce would be granted, pardon me. Um, there are other grounds, including adultery or cruelty, but what ends up happening in those situations is the court process takes such a long time hmm. that we usually don't use those anyway. So we always use one year and you have to provide evidence of the adultery and evidence of cruelty. So most of the time it's just not worth it. The process just happens. It does, yeah. Okay, so a uh, couple have separated, mm -hmm. um, potentially no legal separation or no mm -hmm. separation agreement three, four years down the road. Mm -hmm. How did, can they just automatically grant, get granted a divorce? Yes. So no separation agreement would be That's required? Right. No separation is required for a divorce. Uh, you can just get your divorce as long as you write in the amount of child support that is being paid. Uh, it is better to have everything in writing and to have an agreement that's enforceable, in particular for support such as child support or spousal support. If you have a binding separation agreement, the agreement can be enforced by the Family Responsibility Office. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a separation agreement or court order, they can't enforce your support. So your spouse could stop paying support at any time and you would have no mechanism to enforce the support until you had an agreement or an order. Okay, so Family Responsibility Office, yes. a lot of people call it FRO. Yes, they do. Um, and so the Family Responsibility Office is a, is a government it is, yeah. It's arm um, of the government. It is, and the Family Responsibility Office enforces um, all support payments for child support and spousal support. Okay. So they're basically the support collection agency. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and they can't act unless you have a separation agreement or a court order. Okay. And they won't stop enforcing either if you're a support payor right. until you until your support has been terminated. Right. Yes. And 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 I've heard some fairly nasty yes. stories about that, that people who have, oh, <laughs> I'm sure oh, you've heard yes. way more than I have. Oh, yes. But. So if you cease paying your support, be it child or spousal support, you're, you will start going into what we call arrears. And at that point, the Family Responsibility Office, or FRO, will start enforcement action against those arrears. They will suspend your passport. They will, if you're a pilot, they'll suspend your pilot's license, any federal license that you have they will suspend it, as, and your passport, everything else. Um, they have the ability, and they do, garnish wages at a rate of 50%. So if you're earning, say you're earning $100,000 a year, and you have arrears of $15,000, they are going to take half of your pay, your gross pay, not your net pay, and they're going to provide that to your ex-spouse as arrears payments. Wow. Yeah. And it goes on your credit bureau. It sure does. It goes on the credit bureau so that it'll affect your mortgage or anything else when you go to renew. Mm -hmm. uh, FRO also has the ability to put writs uh, and to sell your property as well as to put you in jail mm -hmm. in a default hearing. Um, for the most part, it doesn't happen very often. Um, but you would have to go to court at that point and explain why you haven't paid your support. The judge will make you pay a certain amount towards the arrears. You're not going to get out of not paying mm -hmm. a certain amount each month until you have either terminated the order or, or changed the order. Mm -hmm. And um, but it doesn't it doesn't have to go through fro. Child support doesn't no. have to go through fro. No, that's right. If you have a separation agreement and your spouse is paying their support on time and there's no issue, you have no reason to go to fro. Every court order that, that 
that there is in Ontario goes to fro. So whether or not you want it to go to fro or not, all court orders are going to go to the Family Responsibility Office. However, once that court order has been uh, issued, you can sign a withdrawal that will withdraw you from the Family Responsibility Office. You can always go back and have your support enforced by FRO afterwards and pay the $50 fee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, trying to, I, I had a couple questions, but it was so interesting that what we were talking about, I'm like, they're gone. <laughs> so uh, I think we talked a little bit about what are some of the biggest mistakes. Do we talk about some of the big mistakes you see people um, make? Yeah, the biggest, I think the biggest mistake is not going to see a lawyer and doing the separation agreements on your own. Another mistake that, or something that I see people leave out or don't turn their minds to is before they start living together or get married, a uh, good idea is to get a marriage contract mm. or a cohabitation agreement, what they call in the U.S. or as we've seen on TV, a pre prenup. prenup. Right. Yeah. So the importance of that is if you're cohabitating with your spouse and you're living in a common law relationship, there is no right to half of any of the property that your spouse owns. It is only divided as to ownership. And if your spouse owns the house that you live in and you're not on title, you may have to prove that you work towards putting money into the home. So it's often much easier um, to determine that at the beginning of your relationship. So you can also have a marriage contract before you get married if you want to, say, protect some of your property, if you received an inheritance or if you received damages for an injury, um, or even if you are in, coming into a second marriage and you know what you may lose mm -hmm. the next time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I see quite a lot of marriage contracts coming in is with second marriages mm. and second relationships. And the very best time to determine how you're going to separate your property is when you like your spouse. Right. And not when you are angry and right. you're separating and there have been years of issues. Mm -hmm. um, are, are those ironclad? They can be, yes. Um, the... If we put in uh, clauses such as the custody or access of children, the court will not enforce that. Also with the matrimonial home, if you get married, the matrimonial home, any provisions in your marriage contract or cohabitation agreement are unenforceable as the matrimonial home is always divided in half. You could put all of your inheritance into the matrimonial home, all of the money that you receive, say if you were in a car accident and you put it into the home to reduce your mortgage, that money would be gone. So I have a client who had um, owned her home prior mm -hmm. to um, marriage. Yes. And so they did a contract. Yes. They, they did a, a prenup or whatever that would was considered what she did. Mm -hmm. um, and um, then they refinanced yes. the house and put it in his name as well. But I think she was led to believe that it still was her home. Right. And that he was going to take half of the debt on the house and none of the equity on the house. Okay. And so it's been a bit of a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> so I can't really do anything right now until they figure that out. Right. But it's been a bit of a nightmare for her and it was a family home. Yes. Yeah. The matrimonial home uh, can be a difficult um, division mm -hmm. in that... If you owned it before you got married, once you get married, it becomes your matrimonial home and it's automatically subject to division. So what we can do in a marriage contract is we can put into the contract the amount 
that the matrimonial home was valued at when you got married mm. and you could have what we call a date of marriage deduction for your property should you separate or divorce. Okay. So that would keep that amount of asset but the matrimonial home would still be divided. Right. Okay. So there's other things as well we have to consider when we're looking at separation, divorces, etc. Um, for the finances, yes. RSPs, yes. pensions, um, TFSAs. Yes. You know, sort of the the cash assets. Yes. Everything that you have, everything that you have, right down to the socks on your feet. We, we generally try to value most of it. Mm -hmm. We don't try to value all of the contents that you have in the matrimonial home. Yeah. It is just usually to too laborious to do that mm -hmm. and we usually just decide on a number depending on right the level that there is but everything that you have in investments as you said RSPs and pensions everything has to be valued and there is some complex evaluation yes. process with that there right? is depending yes. on what you've got yep uh, for, for pension assets we look at the date that you got married and the date of separation and usually we get a, a value for that and sometimes we have to send that to what we call an actuary so we can have the amount of the pension as to what it might be um, otherwise we, we're not entirely certain of what the pension amount might be and we also have to account for the amount of taxes that the spouse will have to pay when they withdraw that money so what we end up doing, if we're going to transfer money from an RRSP, say to for an equalization payment, we would have to add the amount of income tax onto that so that this, the other spouse doesn't lose some of their entitlement. Mm -hmm. It's very complex. It's, it, it, the property division can be very complex, which mm -hmm. is why I do recommend if you have assets that you do speak to a lawyer mm -hmm. um, about dividing them. Otherwise, you may not know everything that your spouse may have. Um, or you may lose an interest in quite in a pension that you may not know mm -hmm. um, that you're entitled to, or for the tax taxes when you remove it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really it's not just about one thing or the other. There are multiple issues, and I would believe that you know the more you have, obviously the more complex it is. That's right. Yes, and you know obviously if you don't have a lot. It is, but it's still, there's still money there. There's still assets there. and Yep, yep. And if you have, a, a, like, a many, many assets, um, potentially, you know, having to pay your spouse $50,000 is not going to be that problematic. If you only have 50000 and you have to pay your spouse out at twenty five, that could be... That could be a more difficult uh, mechanism. If, if that's the case, we will sometimes have um, payment plans for that so that they can pay out on monthly or yearly basis so that it's easier for the spouse who would have to pay. Mm -hmm. And we also sometimes do, if someone has a pension with the federal government or if they work for uh, the provincial government, uh, we would just have a direct transfer from the pension into an RSP for right. the spouse. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they can take, uh, like you say, if you if you have a government pension of some yes. kind, you can direct the government to give the yes. uh, the spouse a certain amount, whatever that equity is. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to me that nobody wins. Nobody wins in family law. There are no winners uh, in family law. It's not. <laughs> I have a joke with my clients that the contract or separation agreement. Is, is not a good one unless everybody is unhappy with it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> God, that's great. 
<laughs> so and that it, and that is unfortunately true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and you know it's really it is a sad it is a sad state of affairs really. And and they say what about 50% of marriages? Yes. Is that Ontario statistic? No, nope, that is Canada. It okay. is still the rate is 50%. Nobody thinks when they get married or they start living together that it's not going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. But yes, it might. Mm-hmm. Um we can't control everything that happens in in our life in mm-hmm. that way, unfortunately. Um and with the the rate being so high, uh I would just recommend everybody protecting themselves and the property that they have mm-hmm. with uh, with marriage contracts and cohabitation agreements mm-hmm. to save that hassle and the heavy emotions that will come trying to decide how to separate your property at the time of your separation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you th- I think of young couples starting off and they don't have anything, mm-hmm. you know. So they're starting with zero yes. and don't and love in their eyes yes. and, you know, all sunshine and rainbows, right? <laughs> Unicorns. And, yes. Um, so in that regard, there probably isn't much to do in, in that. I know I was married at 22 years old. Yes. And we, we had a house, but we bought it together when yep. I was 21. Right. So we, had, we really had nothing, you know. So... If that's the case, then it may or it may not be valuable for you because mm-hmm. you will be you will be building everything to together. together. Mm-hmm. If you are going to have, say, um, a parent or somebody else come to co-sign on your first home, or if you're going to involve anything else like that, um, or if you want to um, protect the amounts of monies that you have in a pension, then then you could do that. You can also, in a marriage contract, you can still determine that you would that you will each be taking your own property out so that your pensions or any RRSPs that you accumulate during your marriage wouldn't be divided. But sometimes you would think that might backfire. Mm-hmm. And only because, again, if you're looking at it from a point of view, young couple, no yes. kids, and then, you know, you agree to that because you both have great jobs, great careers, and you're on the path yes. to you know, great financial success and, mm-hmm. and business success. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have one, two, three kids. And and typically, maybe stereotypically, but typically the, the wife does stay home yep. to raise those children or cuts back on her work. And, you know, and all of a sudden her career path is not so sunshine and roses anymore. And so how do you address that, even though it was done in the beginning? At the beginning, so if there is, say, a lot of the times in a marriage contract, there will be a waiver of spousal support. And it's in that area where if you don't have children, and then there are children who are born later, and then usually the wife, as you said, may stay home with the children, uh, then at that point, the spousal support provision of the marriage contract could be set aside. Okay. So that there would be some spousal support to compensate the spouse for that period of time. Mm-hmm. And anything that's written in there about the home, the matrimonial home, it would still be divided okay. as well. Mm-hmm. There's lots of, lots of oh, ins yes. and outs, right? There's quite a lot, yes. Um, if you're going to be cohabitating with your spouse, though, um, you really should have a cohabitation agreement, especially if you put in more money towards a down payment. Mm-hmm as what you will usually get out of the home is what you've put into it. So if one spouse has put in uh, $70,000 to a down payment and the other spouse put in thirty, you're going to want to have that specifically written down because um, you may not remember mm-hmm. later on who and who is paying what f- and how you're going to divide that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if you separate and you're cohabitating, we actually have to get bank records 
from wow. the date that you purchased the house wow. until the date of the separation, possibly to determine where the money went. Incredible. Mm -hmm. We're just about ready to wrap up, but I yes. just wanted to ask you a question about what do you love about your job? Like, why do you keep doing it? What gets you up every morning? Um, mostly my clients get me up uh, every morning. I do, I, I love my job. I love helping people. Uh, and it's very rewarding in that way. It's also very challenging mm -hmm. in terms of just the roller coasters that some that we can be on on occasion. And sometimes we have urgent situations that come in where we don't get much sleep. Uh, and we sometimes will work around the clock as well in order to um, assist our clients in either having their children return to them uh, mm -hmm. or in, or leaving an unsafe situation as well. Wow. And it's those cases where I, I feel the most reward. Yeah, when you've seen a positive outcome at the yes. end. Yeah. 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 Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's oh, been a really, you. real big pleasure to talk to you, and, yeah. and I feel like we could keep talking. Um, <laughs> it's been fun. I love yeah, it. good. I'm yeah, glad. Um, can you let our audience know how to get in touch with you? Yes, you can contact me uh, at my office. I work at Lister Beaupray, and the telephone number is 613-234-2500. You can also contact me at uh, Cynthia at ListerLawyers.com. And, of course, we can find you on divorcenet.ca. Right. Yes. So uh, thank you again so much for joining us Thanks today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. Our mission is to give access for every person in Canada to connect with reliable divorce professionals and advice locally. DivorceNet.ca. Expert advice made simple.